morning, St. Michael's, will you please stand? Lord, we are just so grateful to continually be invited into your house. We just ask that you would let us just open our hearts to you this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts just to know you, Lord. Open that up in us so we can be obedient to you and listen to what you want us to do.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, love the Lord, love, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life.
read the scriptures, just as you read the scriptures, as you hear them read to us, just remember what this song says. It's all about surrender. And you'll hear that in the Old Testament. You'll hear it in the gospel. It's such a powerful message. I preached on it on the 730, so it kind of fits. So anyway, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray together, the Colette. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Children, please come. Let's pray for you. We've got a great bunch of kiddos. This is pretty cool. Well, Lord, we pray for your grace and mercy for each one of these children, that you would bless them, Lord, as you train them up in the ways of your kingdom. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless them. Rowan, come here, right here. Lord, bless them, Lord Jesus. Give them peace. Give the grace to the teachers, Lord. Angels, watch over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can go now. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plants. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 80, convincing in verse 7. Let's read responsively by the half verse. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared a room for it and caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow. And the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea, and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges? So that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it. And wild beasts in the fields devour it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, and visit Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Amen. Be seated. This morning's New Testament reading comes from the book of Matthew, beginning Chapter 21, beginning at verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner. Oh, sorry. Our second reading comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have for us a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, in whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, in whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
The Lord be with you. With your spirit. May the Lord be on our minds, on our lips, and on our hearts as we hear his holy gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory be to thee, Jesus Christ. We are reading from Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time came, drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vine vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. The gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise be, be to, to you, thee, Lord, Lord Christ.
Lord, we come before you today and we humble ourselves. We open our eyes. We open our ears. Speak to us by your mighty power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I was watching this movie on the plane yesterday. It's called About My Father. And it's uh, this guy, Sebastian something or other. And uh, long story short, he has this uh, tumultuous relationship with his Sicilian father who's played by Robert De Niro. And there's this tension back and forth. And the crux of the movie, the, the, the big moment where everything resolves in the movie, he says, you know, my dad has this old Italian saying, family is not one important thing, it is everything. And that's like, oh, yay, the fireworks go off, the couple kisses, it's a whole thing, right? Everything's resolved. But it just was sitting in my mind all day yesterday. And I was like, but no, that's not right. Because you know what the saying should be? Jesus is not one important thing. He is everything. Amen? And guess what? Jesus' plan for the world is the family. So they were really close. They were really close. But as we read our readings today, you might find yourself feeling like, whoa. I mean, every reading today is talking about how God's going to uproot, tear down, destroy. The judgment of God is coming. And why is that? Well, ultimately, it's because the people that we're writing to, the the Israelites, the, the church, the Pharisees, We all decide that Jesus is just one thing, but not everything. We get our priorities mixed up. That's why Jesus says elsewhere, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We've got to have the first thing first. So as we read through this, just keep that in mind. Uh, What is the problem with the, the house of Israel who ostensibly, supposedly, worship God. Well, again and again, they give their hearts to other gods, to other things, to idols. They may still do their token sacrifices to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, but they, do, they get led astray by the other desires of their hearts. And so, ultimately, as we read through this, I want you to think in your heart and mind, Where have I let something take the place of Jesus in my life? Because that is how we're going to see transformation. When we can put Jesus where he belongs in our life. So keeping that in mind, we're going to start in Isaiah 5 verse 1. It's our Old Testament lesson. And it says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song." Concerning his vineyard, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a white a wine van in it. Sorry, a wine vat. I'd like a wine van as well. A wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now let's start through this. Uh, it's kind of interesting because what we're doing is we're reading a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah gave to Israel 
But the early church fathers read this in light of the church because the church is the new Israel. And so as we talk through this, keep that in mind. Uh, This is just as applicable to us as it was to the house of Israel. And who is the beloved? Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. Well, we know from the Gospels what happens when Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit falls and God declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so we're talking about Jesus here. And how did Jesus plant his vineyard on a fertile hill? He planted it on the hill of Calvary. He planted it on that hill where he died. The fertile hill that was fruitful for the salvation of the whole world. Out of that one event, all can be saved. He planted the church on a fertile hill. The hill that was based in the blood of Christ. That won us our victory. That set us free. That empowered us to live resurrected lives. That's this fertile hill of our vineyard. He dug it. He cleared it of stones. And he planted it with choice vines. Did you know that God chose you? Yes, you. Every one of you. He didn't choose humanity. He chose each human. He chose each of us. He didn't put a wide net and say, whatever I catch, I catch. No, he knows each of us intimately And had each of us in mind on that cross. Each one of us bears the love, the intimate, personal love of Christ. And he chose you. You're in these seats. Well, guess what? That means God chose you to be here. You need to know that you are chosen. Why do you need to know that? Because otherwise we'll get pretty convinced that we have to earn God's affection. That it's all based on how we perform. So guess what? You have a bad week. Maybe you're afraid to pray. That's what it said in our collect. Forgive us those things of which our conscience is afraid. Maybe you run into a moment where you don't want to open your Bible. Because you know what you're going to see. You're going to see your own failures exposed. But you know what you're also going to encounter when you go to God? The same exact love that drove him to die on a cross that you could be in relationship with him. He chose you as his choice vines. The church is his vineyard. You are his vines. You need to hold on to that identity. Everything else is secondary. Everything else should flow from the identity that you have as the chosen one of Christ. And by that choice, he has made you now the beloved. As you're baptized, as you're welcomed into this church, you get the same promise as Jesus. It's a completely rigged deal. It doesn't matter who you are. If you accept his call, then you are now his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Really emphasizing this point, Because we're going to get to some harder passages coming up very soon. And I want you to remember that the reason why he gets so intentional with his discipline in this passage is because he loves you. And we cannot substitute that for performance. 
He doesn't choose you because you're the best at what you do. He doesn't choose you because you're a good person. He chooses you because he loves you and has called you to be his own. Okay. He, his choice vines, right? And then he built a watchtower in the midst of it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but that represents the scriptures, the tradition of the church, the faith that's handed down in the creeds, and it includes the leadership of the church. We are called to be the watchtower over the church, raising up the vineyards and the vines. Jesus makes that abundantly clear as he calls to the exact same analogy in his gospel. He says there was a man who planted a vineyard. But you know what? The stewards of that vineyard, the watchtower of that vineyard, refused God what he was owed, talking of the scribes and the Pharisees. So it's very clear that there's a call on the church to steward this vineyard. Do you know why God does that? Because he wants us to be participants in his plans in the world. Don't you think God could just like show up and Jesus could walk around and he could manage everything? He could, but you know what he'd rather do? He'd rather transform Bishop Kessler. He'd rather transform Father Powell, Father Ed, myself, Deacon Phil, the leaders of the church. He'd rather invite us to be an image of him to the church. The same thing he's going to ask you to do to the world. Be image bearers of him. He wants us to be a part of this plan. So he built a watchtower, looks for the grapes. He gets wild grapes. And we're talking to a culture that lived on their agriculture. Did you know that Jews could not go and buy the grapes at Ralph's if the grapes at Albertson's weren't good? If your crops failed, you were done. You might even die. Famine killed thousands of people. On a generational basis, like they remembered, oh yeah, remember when grandpa went through that famine and half of our people just died because the crops failed? What I'm trying to say is sometimes we read this like, so what, sour grapes, wild grapes, like we don't take the serious nature in the way that they would have heard this. It was not a incidental thing. It didn't mean that the wine was like a bad vintage that year, right? It meant like the wealth the fruit-bearing nature of these plants was the life of these people. When they prayed, give us our daily bread, when Jesus taught them to pray that, they actually meant, I'm hungry. I need your provision and sustenance in a way that we find it difficult to imagine. Okay, so wild grapes is a big deal. We don't like it. Bad. What were they, the wild grapes? Well, later in the same passage, the same prophetic declaration, we didn't read it this morning, 520 to 23 sums up the problem with Israel at this time. And it says in verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, and valiant in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, and deprive the innocent of his right. We're going to quickly walk through this, because I think sometimes we read these things, and maybe you heard the heroes at drinking wine thing, and it made sense to you, 
But it's like, woe to those who call good evil. And we're like, what? that's not me. I don't do that. I know what's good and I know what's bad. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. Do you know who knows more than anybody in this church about who, what's right and wrong? My son, Rowan David Harris. He will tell you. But dad, that's not right. He's pretty darn convinced he knows what's right and wrong. And having lived with him for almost six years, I can tell you he's wrong a lot of the time. And yet we grow up and we think, nah, we got it figured out. I got it figured out. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I know what's good. I know what's evil. But then you catch yourself doing things that you regret. Well, at some point you did something whether it was flipping off that guy on the freeway that felt really good at the time, right? I called that sweet. It felt sweet. But then later it becomes bitter. It sits in your gullet and you're like, man, I have a St. Michael's Church sticker on the back of my van. Dagnabbit. But think about it, right? We get caught up in these things. So let me, I'm going to give you some categories to help you sift through this problem. Calling good evil. Well, that's when you justify your sin. That's when you say, you know what? I deserve to sit around and watch Netflix for three hours when I should be doing my work. I'm calling it good. But you know what? In that context, it's evil. Let me, okay, let me give you a very specific example. God told me I needed to be specific this morning because I asked him, what do you want me to do? And he said, be specific. So I'm going to be specific. I'm driving my truck, and I leave at like 3.45 in the morning from house construction. And I get off Pico. I get on the 5. No, I'm not going to be that specific. But either way, I drive my day. I go all the way. I drop off the material. I get to a hotel because you're not allowed to drive for more than 12 hours. And I check into the hotel, and it's like 3 p.m., right? Because, you know, 3.45 to 3, that's about the right timing. And that's usually when I get to the hotel. I get into the hotel room. And I've got a list of things that I have to do. Like, not things that I want to accomplish, but things that I really need to do. Setting up bills, looking at my email, writing this very sermon. And then I find myself two hours later, and I have done these things. I have checked Facebook. I have scrolled through Instagram. I have watched some funny videos. I have seen a YouTube channel on the making of honey. I have done all of these things, and I have beaten a couple levels of balloons tower defense on my phone. How did that happen? Something in me said, do you know what's sweet? Doing all these things. But do you know what? It was pretty darn bitter this morning when I opened up my laptop and I didn't have a sermon written. I confess. I'm a sinner, and I know my sin all too well. But all of us, we're giggling, we're laughing, we're smiling, because we know that we do the same thing. And yet we look at the Israelites like those fools, those idiots. I would never do that. I would never bow down to a statue of a golden calf. But I would spend 10 hours looking at a glowing rectangle. There's problems in our life. And you know what it is, right? Woe to those who call good evil. You get told every day what is good and what is evil. In fact, I forgot to mention, I also found a sale on Amazon, and I think I need a new TV. There are things that are shouting at you. This is good. This is good. And God is whispering, it's evil. 
Listen to that still small voice. It's like honeycomb when you eat it, but it's bitter in your gut. That moment of purchasing something on Amazon, you know, you know that moment. And it's going to be here tomorrow. Who knows how they broke physics at Amazon, but somehow I click this button and it's here tomorrow. Sometimes today, the magicians at Amazon are out to get you. Really? I mean, maybe not magicians, but you get what I mean. They are really trying to convince you that what they're selling is what you need. And then we go to Sunday morning and we sing, this one thing I ask, this one thing I seek. It's not a television set, I promise. But it is to dwell within your house every day of my life. What does that mean? Because I don't come to church every day. I mean, most days. Fair. But I don't come to church every day. It means that you, where you live, can be the house of the Lord. But guess what? You have to call what is good, good. And you know what's good? Doing what you're supposed to do. It's a very simple, simple uh, definition there, but it's very useful. Because guess what? What's good for you might not be good for him. You need to hear God's voice and obey what he says. Now, there are clear good and evil things. Ten Commandments, there are several ways that you can explain that. Most of us are familiar with those things. And most of us, if we're committing those sins, are aware of it. We know to repent of it. Where we get lost, where we get lost is, well, he does that. Why don't I get to do that? Well, she does that. Why don't I get to do that? Well, what did God tell you to do? In fact, God doesn't want you to memorize a list of rules rights and wrongs. He wants you to develop a relationship. What Rowan gets wrong nine times out of 10 is that he's memorized the known rules. And what I'm teaching him is he needs to learn the relational journey of obedience. But usually I can do this. Well, dad told you to do something different. Well, I was helping. No, you were disobeying. How often do we find ourselves in that trap? I was making things good. I was doing the right thing. Yeah, but God told you to do something else. My fear is I often am not even listening. Would I even hear if he told me? And then a couple weeks later, it's like, hey, I never told you to do that. Oh, shoot. So all of this to say, we got to keep going with these woes because they're great. I love the woes. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. That's the problem, where you don't listen to God. What happens when you're wise in your own eyes? Well, you don't need the spirit of wisdom to inform you. You've got it figured out. You're shrewd in your own sight. Well, I know how to fix this problem. I know how to solve all my ills. I'm smart enough to figure it out. I got like a high score on the SAT good for me. Well, guess what? God's ways are not your ways. He wants you to learn his ways, his kingdom. It doesn't matter how smart and luckily for me or how dumb you are, he can work with you. It doesn't matter how wise or foolish, but don't convince yourself you got it figured out. Listen, Listen and obey. He will teach you. He will guide you. There's so many promises about how he wants to give you wisdom in your life. 
And it says, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, and valiant men in mixing strong drink. And I think of the countless scenes in TV shows and movies where you get the guy who's all big and tough looking, he's sitting at the table, and there's the guy or the girl who's less big and tough looking, and she drinks him under the table, and they go, hurrah, yay! Calling what's good, what's evil, good. Did you know it's actually not good to be really good at getting drunk? Believe it or not. If you, all you paid attention to was the TV shows and the movies and the advertisements, you would think that the best people drink all the time. The best people. I've seen the billboards. They are swanky-looking people that are having that glass. Or the, like the most interesting man. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, it's Dos Equis. Whatever. No. No. Yes, beer, wine. Good. Jesus' first miracle was creating gallons of wine. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Our very sacrament is made from wine. God is talking about a vineyard. I'm not saying alcohol is bad, but gosh darn it, if our culture doesn't get it wrong. And it's so easy, man, because you know what's really sweet? That third Manhattan. Until the next morning when it's quite bitter. But I just want to open our eyes today to see that even though we go to church and are doing our best to do what's good, if you aren't listening, if you're not paying attention, we could easily be like Israel, following 10 other gods besides the one who calls us, who saves us, who sets us free. Okay. Don't be valiant in mixing strong drink. I had to repeat that one for myself. Who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. I think for us, this is such a cultural burden that we have to remember. Did you know that it's wrong to kill babies? Everyone says, amen. Yes, it is wrong to kill babies. Did you know that it is wrong? Drag queen story hour is wrong. Yes, absolutely. It is wrong, and we are doing this everywhere in our culture. We are praising the guilty, and we are condemning the innocent, and it is a tragedy. But do you know what we all do? We see it, and we go, oh, how awful, and then we go back to our life because it's too big. It's too hard for us to see salvation in those things. So let me break it down a little bit farther. All of this, our cultural sickness, starts with you sitting here today in this pew. Your job is to follow Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself in your life. And by doing that, you will change the world. Now, that may require things of you. In fact, our great, I love this quote, it says, Love and do whatever else you want to do. What does love require of us? That's the only question you have to answer when you encounter these tragic circumstances, these injustices in the world. What does love require? And let me tell you this, it requires justice. It requires mercy. It requires truth. It requires perseverance. I don't know what the specific call in your life is when you hear about these great tragic things. 
But I do know that God will tell you that if you ask him, if you see something that breaks your heart or that weighs on your heart, then bring it to God and say, God, how can I do this? How can I be a part of the solution? It starts with you and your household, but guess what? It doesn't end there. We're building the kingdom of God at this church. We're affecting the neighborhood. We are affecting the, the, the world with how our witness and what we do. So when we think about this and we look out in the world and we get disturbed, guess what? That disturbance may be you feeling the heart of God. It may be a knock on your door that you need to answer. And if you look at the world and you are never disturbed by anything you see, ask God to awaken your heart. Because there is things all around us, even in our local sphere, people who need that word of encouragement, of life, people who need that $20, who need that uh, service, who need you to go sit with them, who need you to pray with them, who need you to call and say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. All of that to say, this is not about giving you a list of demands. This is about encouraging you to renew that relationship with God where you hear what he says, and you do it. Okay, now what is God going to do to this vineyard? And we'll, it's very important that we get to this part. Let's talk about this. In Isaiah 5, 5 through 6, he says, And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its head, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. If you persist in bearing wild grapes, then you will encounter the discipline of God. But the center of that promise was taken at the cross. Which vineyard was totally overthrown? Which person bore the thorns that are called out in that passage? Which hedges were broken down that the wild animals could get at it? The one vine, the true vine, Jesus. He took the punishment for our sins completely in him. And you are not now guilty of your sins. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He took all of that. So now we can say when God does discipline us, thank you, God, because he's only doing it to make us his. Let me explain a little further. In the covenant that God made with Israel, there were consequences for breaking the covenant. And God, by his justice, would execute judgment on the people of Israel. In his love and in his justice, he would allow their hedges to be broken down and for them to be overrun. And we see it again and again as Israel gets to Babylon, Syria, all these places, take it over. And then, do you know what they do? They remember, oh yeah, we have a God who saves. So even in those moments, what was God doing? Was he trying to get vengeance on Israel? No, he was inviting them to remember the God who saves. So even when you read these passages, you're like, man, God is pissed off. Remember, he's not like us. We love our children. 
and yet we get overtaken by anger sometimes. And we yell at them, or we punish them unfairly, or whatever it is. And we, were, we later on, we're like, man, that just, I love them. What happened? Well, we were overtaken by anger, let's say. God is not that. God is never overcome by his anger. Even in the discipline, he is holy love. Let's stop thinking of God as an angry father. And let's come to him as the God who is fundamentally defined by love. You do not lose his approval. You do not lose your worth when you mess up. And even when we read this, it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. You have to recall that ultimately he took that judgment on himself. That we might not suffer it forever. Let me link these two things because I have two kind of strands going. One of them is you're not guilty. You will never be punished by God because Jesus took it all. And the other one is God's a good father and he's not going to let you remain the sinner that you are today. He will transform you into a person who reflects the image of Christ. And that will require his loving discipline. I've seen it even in people that I know well who they let wild grapes come up in their life and their whole life was just obliterated. The hedges were torn down. They went down a path that led to their, their whole life is destroyed. But do you know my hope for that person or those people? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 through 5. When you are assembled in the name of Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, this is Paul writing to Corinthians, with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I look at that man who let wild grapes grow up in his life and he was obliterated by the consequences of his action. And I think of this verse. I turn him over to Satan that in the day of the judgment of the Lord, he may be saved. I don't know how that all works. I don't have any hand in the judgment of God personally here today. But I trust him. And I trust in his love. And so when the difficult times come and you think, man, I've messed up. And I'm suffering the consequences of our, my actions. Remember this. There is nothing that God does towards you that is not motivated by your good. We can actually thank God for his discipline. It reminds me of a story that Deacon Johnson told once upon a time in his classroom of getting corporal punishment as a kid and turning and saying, please, sir, may I have another? (laughs) And it's funny, right? It's funny in that moment. But when I think about God, it's like almost, yeah. When God disciplines you, when you're transformed, you can look and say, wow, thank God for that discipline. Amen? So we need to remember, even as we read, and every reading today was about the judgment of God, guess what? It was also equally about the love of God for you, his choice vines, his beloved, the ones that are called, the ones that are not measured by their performance but are transformed insofar as, like my dad said at the beginning, we surrender to his will. And don't go memorizing a list of rules so that you don't fall into this trap. 
ask God to show you what you should do and do it. Get to Harris Ranch at 3 p.m. and write your sermon <laughs> like you know you should do. It can be that simple. And guess what? Then you will dwell in the house of the Lord every day of your life. If you keep coming to him, asking him, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And there's no end to the forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Let the kids come on in. We're going to go ahead and go to the prayers of the people. I'm just waiting to hear Rowan's comments. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, let us ask God to look upon us with mercy as we lift up our prayers and for ourselves and for those of the whole world. That the patriarch, all bishops, priests, and deacons will live holy and righteous lives for the glory of God and be an example to his people. Lord, in your mercy... That the witness of those who are persecuted for Christ's sake will lead to the conversion of their oppressors. Lord, in your mercy, that the church will take seriously her call to be a household of prayer for all nations. Lord, in your mercy, that the Jewish people will come to know Jesus as their promised Messiah. Lord, in your mercy. That we will set our minds and hearts on the things above and not on the things of this world. Lord, in your mercy. That we should have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in our lives. Lord, in your mercy. For our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy, most merciful God, you have called us to be a kingdom of priests unto our God. Hear our prayer and give us the grace to be fruitful for the sake of your kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace of the Lord always be with you. And with your spirit. Let us offer one another the sign of peace. 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 Good. Peace of the Lord. Well, before we get to the, uh, to the direct announcements, I wanted to make a comment about uh, the food pantry that we do on Mondays. And actually, we do it throughout the week. Uh, we have all kinds of different responsibilities in making sure that happens. But, uh, yes, we feed people food. Uh, people need food. We know that. People need food to survive. And, uh, and so we do that as a church. But really what we're hoping for is, in the end, to draw them from the physical food that they need to their spiritual food. And we do. We have people who come to us and ask us for prayer and ask us for advice. And uh, 
I just want you to see that as something Jesse was talking about is that, uh, you know, it's the spirit. We don't live by the physical, but by the spiritual. We live by not by the physical food, but by the bread that God gives us in his word. And we want those people out there to be able to start to, to participate in eating that word as opposed to just eating the food that they get. We want them to be drawn in. So we'd love to have you out there, please, uh, to help us. There's many positions that uh, you can help fill that don't involve Mondays. And uh, you could ask Kelly, my wife, about what those uh, positions are. She has a whole list of different things you can do. All right, now on to the, uh, on to the announcement. We have a big feast day coming up. It's Tuesday night from 3 to 8, actually 3 to 9 p.m. It's St. Chuck E. Cheese night. <laughs> and we're very excited. We never miss St. Chuck E. Cheese night. Except we were disappointed that the games were taken out that we really liked. But uh, please come. It's a lot of fun. We'll have a blast. And uh, it's not just school people. You, Everybody's welcome to come. We'd love to have you. Ladies meeting is at 10 a.m. on the 28th of October, and see Mia Harris or Debbie Powell. Debbie is not here today, but see Mia Harris about that. Trunk or Treat is on at 6 p.m. on Halloween night, uh, the 31st. You can sign up with Bethany, um, Bethany, Johnson, Bethany Mercer, Betty Mercer, or Katie Sampson, and there is going to be a prize for the best decorated car. Best decorated car. Very nice. And finally, the Really a, a very important one, men's retreat, November 9th through the 11th. Reserve your spot today. See Eric Reed. This is going to be a really good men's retreat, and we would like to see you there. It's on the 9th through the 11th. Let us pray for our offering. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and make good your vows to the Most High. Ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name. Bring offerings and come into his courts. Let us with gladness presenting offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord.
up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so, with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise.
Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them, so they become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread, and he gave you thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was entered, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. Gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us therefore proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ Christ has died, Christ Christ is is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. Humbly, we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and with all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Patrick, Richie, the House family, Bob, Mary, Cecil, Mike, the Marines and Sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who served in our armed forces. You may have names of those that you are praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Lord, have mercy on us all. Lord, you made us worthy to share eternal life with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Joseph, her husband, with the apostles, with the martyrs, with St. Michael and all thy saints. May we praise you in union with him and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who were called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant us peace. The gifts of God for the people of God.
these vineyards are so much, <laughs> you know, I talk about the fertile ground. There's so much meat <laughs> of meaning inside these vineyards. And the one thing that I kept thinking about was that God has done everything for you to bear fruit. He's given you protection. He's given you the most fertile ground. He's given us the grace, the love, the forgiveness. He's removed all the stones from the ground. He's done everything necessary. There's there's nothing more he could have done. It's up to us to just cooperate and produce the fruit. If we just cooperate, God will make the fruit happen. And that's a great promise that God has given us. Amen? Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with the spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. God loves us. God has forgiven us. God's not angry at us. And God will never leave us or forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. She